We are in 2 Timothy, of course, and today we are in chapter 2 and verses 11 through 13. 2 Timothy 2, verse 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, would you speak to each of us? May our hearts, our minds be open to learning and willing to hear and to heed what you say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is a faithful saying. This is one of five faithful sayings or trustworthy sayings that Paul has in the pastoral epistles. And these sayings are meant to highlight things of great importance with regard to the faith. And this particular one, if it's if you, in your Bible, may be in the formatted a little differently. It's thought to be a fragment of a hymn that was sung in the early church. And of course, by incorporating it into his epistle, uh, it is made part of God's inspired revelation. It is written to the church to professing Christians. And the purpose of this passage is to encourage true believers and also to warn those who have made a false profession of faith. Uh, those who do not have genuine faith need to come to grips with the danger that they are in. And on the other hand, true believers need to be encouraged, even in their failings, their shortcomings, as they look to their ever-faithful God. In the end, it is not our faithfulness, but the faithfulness of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that will sustain us as we seek to persevere in the Christian life. So as we study this passage, I want to break it down into the four lines of the hymn. And the first line goes like this. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And each of these four sayings begins with an if clause, and, and it's followed by a then clause, if you will. The if clause has to do with the action of those who are professing believers. And, and the then clause is, shows then the result of that with reference to or in relation to Jesus Christ. So verse 11 begins, if we die with him. And we, had, we need to ask the question, what kind of death is Paul referring to? Well, he's been talking a lot about suffering, about persecution, uh, and enduring these things. And some have thought he's talking about uh, the, the death of a martyr who has literally physically died for the faith. But most likely, he is speaking of the conversion of the believer. At conversion, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, putting your faith in him, you're united to him by faith, and in union with Christ... The Bible teaches, and Paul teaches, 
uh, especially in the book of Romans, that we have died with him. Romans chapter 6 will be good reading for you today on the Lord's Day. And it has a lot to say about our union with Christ. Romans 6 verse 5 says that as believers we have been united with him in the likeness of his death. Verse 6 says our old man was crucified with him. Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. So in this, Christ is, is put forth as the representative of his people. Uh, his death and all that was accomplished by it, by virtue of union with Christ, becomes ours. And so uh, by faith, his death is our death. We have died with him, died in him. And that if clause clause in verse 11 is in the past tense. If we have died with him. It's something that happened in the past. It has continuing consequences, but it's a once and for all thing. Uh, to be converted to Jesus Christ is, one, is a one-time thing. You don't get saved more than once. You don't get converted more than once. And so the question is, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received him and taken him into your soul as Savior and Lord? And if so, then you have died with him. Uh, your identity used to be that you were in Adam. That means you were in sin. You were guilty. You were uh, under condemnation. But now, by faith, you and I are in, we are in Christ. So then, as, as Romans 6, 11 says, Reckon yourselves, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you died to sin, and you're also alive in Christ. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If, then, if we die, we live. Donald Guthrie in his commentary concludes, Our identification with Christ forms the basis of Christian living, and hence the of Christian courage and confidence. What is it that's going to give you courage and confidence in this world? It is your identity in Jesus Christ. You know, the world is searching for an identity, isn't it? It, it, People are creating uh, every day some new form of identity and some label for themselves. I'm satisfied with this one label. I I am in Christ. I am Christ's. I'm His and He is mine. I'm a Christian. That's all I need. And that's what God has made us for and, and, and recreated us to be. So if you've died with Christ, you'll live with him. And this is a reference. There's a reference to the past, to your conversion when you believed. And now this, I will live with him. I think he's talking about the Christian life as it is now. Uh, you have a new life. You've been made a new creation in Christ. And you, you're no longer... Uh, in sin, dead in sin, as, as Ephesians says, but you are dead to sin. And you're no longer dead in sin, you're alive to God in Christ. And, and so, raised from death, why? To live this life that he's called us to live. To live the life of a conqueror, conquering the sin that we used to be enslaved to. And this new life begins now, and it continues throughout eternity. 
So remember who you are in Christ. Reckon yourself to be what you are. To be dead, to sin, and alive to God. And through Christ, you see, you are a conqueror. You have life. You have His life. You have the Spirit of God living in you. He's made you alive. You can overcome temptation. You can stand firm through trials. You will overcome in the end when you enter into eternal glory to be with Christ forever. That's who you are. Think of yourself according to the identity that you have in Christ. Well, let's go into the second line of this ancient hymn. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. The if clause has a positive result, again, for those who are in Christ. If we endure indicates a condition, uh, again, that we must meet. If we endure, then we can expect that we will also reign with him. So I would say that enduring for Christ in an evil world is evidence that you and I have died and risen with Christ. And and Scripture, I believe, teaches this, that, that all of God's elect will most certainly endure to the end. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will endure to the end. That doesn't take away from the responsibility, however, of the believer to uh, strive to endure. And so, uh, for example, we are called to endure temptation. James 1 verse 2 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So endure temptation. Continue to resist it. Don't give in. And we're also called to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says, Do not fear any of the things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. So whether it's in temptation or whether it's in trials, God has promised that if you endure, in the end there will be a crown of life for you. You will reign with him. There is a reward. There is a recompense for all the suffering, all the difficulty that we have faced and endured in the Lord. So Paul, the apostle, as he wrote this, he was in prison. He was in a bad place. We, we, we talked about that. He would soon be executed, and at death, he would enter into the very presence of his Lord and begin reigning with him. Paul is reigning with Christ now. So is Timothy, for that matter. So are all who have gone before us in the Lord. And in, in 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul said to Timothy, he said, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, on that day. So are you enduring in your walk with the Lord? Uh, and what does it mean to endure? It's, it's to hold your ground, uh, whether in trouble or affliction or temptation. To hold, stand firm in the Lord. To remain loyal to Jesus Christ uh, in spite of all of the uh, temptations around you to, to be loyal to something else. Uh, and so those who remain loyal to Christ in the face of 
suffering and evil. One day, we'll reign with him. This is in the future. This is heavenly glory. Uh, like I said, the first verse, we will live with him. I think he's talking about now and, yes, and in, in eternity. But, but, but this is talking about future glory, I believe, exclusively. Now, some have taught that we are reigning with Christ now. And that that therefore means that we shouldn't have to suffer any trouble or get sick or be poor. You've probably heard that message preached before. Uh, we call it the prosperity gospel. It is false teaching. The prosperity gospel is nothing new. Uh, the seeds of that gospel were uh, found in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 4.8. Uh, Paul writes rather sarcastically, but he says, You... Corinthians, you're already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish you did reign, that we might reign with you. But it ain't really happening. You think it is. George Knight comments that the Apostle Paul scorns the pride and self-esteem of the Corinthian Christians. In doing so, he says that they act and think as if they're already reigning. And they're supposedly reigning while the Apostles are still suffering. You see, it's it's always funny to me, and I've talked to people who believe this prosperity gospel that if you really believe in Jesus, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you kind of thing. And I said, well, what about the apostles? Uh, they, had a, they had it tough. They all, they all died as martyrs except for one. And he was exiled. And, and I said, well, they were exceptions. you know. No, no, they were the, the example we follow in their train. Uh, Paul's comments obviously rule out the idea of reigning with Christ in the present. This is future. Now is a time of suffering. Now is a time of endurance. Now is a time of warfare. Uh, and in battle, things are, are never really easy for us. And we're not reigning yet. We're fighting. <clears throat> and we will have to go through tribulation. The Lord said that as well. The cross comes before the crown. And the crown... Is laid up for us, but we don't have it yet. We don't wear it yet. We're not reigning yet. In eternity, we will reign with him. I don't even understand what all that means. Uh, but uh, these are encouraging words to suffering Christians. But moving on now to line three in this hymn, it brings a message of warning, a different message. If we deny him, then he also will deny us. Remember, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to uh, all those who profess faith <clears throat> in Christ. But Paul knows from the teaching of Jesus that there's always wheat and tares together. They exist together in the church. There are true believers and there are false professions of faith uh, in the church. Uh, the Westminster Confession <clears throat> in the chapter on assurance of salvation says that Hypocrites and other unregenerate men vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation. In other words, there's some in the church who think they're saved, but they're not. They're, 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 they're hypocrites. They're, they're unregenerate. You have to be born again. Jesus said that. You must be born again. You can't just be externally a part of the church, there must be an internal change that has taken place in your heart. And only the Lord knows those who truly believe in him, those whose hearts are right before him and have been born 
from above. So we can't judge the salvation of another person. We, we, we take the profession of faith uh, as we've taken today for some of our new members. And we've done that with all of us. Only the Lord knows the heart. So those who profess to be Christian, we, we give them that benefit of the doubt and respect as believers. But God knows the heart. God gives this warning, therefore, to the whole church. He is the one who says, okay, examine yourself. If we deny him, he will deny us. And that stands in quite a contrast to the previous verse. If you endure suffering, uh, if you died with him, you'll live. If you endure suffering, uh, you're going to reign with him. The the converse is true, though. If you deny Christ, he will deny you. Uh Uh-oh. 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 Then I start to ask that question, have I denied Christ? Well, you need to think about that. Everyone needs to think about it because the question is asked, is proposed uh, all throughout the New Testament. And um, so, in other words, if, if he denies you, he, he denies that he knows you. Remember, uh, and, you know, Jesus says, you know, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in that day, didn't we do X, Y, and Z? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Uh, I didn't know you. Uh, and, and he will deny us entrance into heaven. And we will never reign with him if, if that's the case. Now, uh, it reminds us of what he said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so uh, a, a denial of Christ, how does that happen? Well, it may not happen immediately. It may be something that happens over time. Uh, as we've talked about before, there, there are people who have been in the church, uh, famous people, famous, well-known Christians, well-known pastors, and they profess Christ for a while, but at some point they denied the faith. They left the faith. Certainly these are the kinds of people that Jesus is talking about. But you don't have to deny Christ verbally and denounce him. To be guilty of denying him, Titus 1.16 says that, speaks of those uh, who profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. All right, that, that's an indication of a false profession. You can't claim to be a believer and have no works. Uh, the works are evidence of your faith. And so a true believer in Christ, here's this, this third line, if we... Deny him, he will deny us. And how do we respond to that? Um, well, I think we take take to heart these warnings and, and we pray, Lord, by your grace, would you give me the courage to confess you uh, no matter the cost? Would, and, and to give thanks. Say, Lord, I, my, my confidence is not in myself. I would deny you left to myself. Lord, thank you for interceding for me as you did for Peter, and you prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Lord, would you pray for me that my faith would be sustained? So, And yet, those who are ashamed of Christ, they might, you, again, you and I may not know it, but inwardly, they're ashamed of Christ. And, and they don't want to confess him. Those persons should find this verse to be a wake-up call. And each of us needs to realize that we cannot sit on the fence with regard to confessing Christ. Uh, Some eventually will prove uh, by their denial of Christ 
to be apostates, to be false professors. It may not be until the final day of judgment. Again, we may be very surprised to see who is excluded and who is who enters into that kingdom. Um, and but we realize, need to realize that uh, that we cannot just be neutral about this. We can't be indifferent. Uh, we have to 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 ask ourselves where are we with the Lord, and then uh, take this seriously. So think of Judas and Peter as as two examples. Right, each of them were were part of the twelve that Christ chose to be his followers, disciples on earth. And and the apostle Peter denied Christ not once, but three times. And yet uh, Peter did not persist in his denial and unbelief. Uh, later he was sorry for his sins. He repented. You know, the, whatever you have done, whether it's denying Christ or anything else, when you turn back to the Lord, there's forgiveness. Remember that. The Lord does allow for U-turns. He does allow uh, for repentance and uh, forgiveness. He will forgive you. And so Peter repented of his sin of denying Christ. He was forgiven. Christ restored him. Restored that relationship. We, we read about that at the end of John's Gospel. Judas, on the other hand, also denied Christ. He sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And he later regretted the decision, but there seemed to be no genuine repentance, no change of heart, no desire for God's forgiveness. He persisted in unbelief. He went and hanged himself. Peter was forgiven. Judas was condemned. In Hebrews 12, 15, we are urged to do this, to look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. You see, Judas heard all of Christ's teachings. Imagine the wonderful teaching, that personal teaching, not only the public teaching, but that I'm sure Christ had one-on-one times with Judas where he shared the wisdom that he had with Judas. But Judas didn't take Christ's word to heart. He didn't take it into his heart. And bitterness arose, and he rejected Christ because he loved money more than Jesus. You know, a person can sit in church Sunday after Sunday and hear sermon upon sermon upon sermon, and yet it not penetrate the heart. Unless the message of God's grace, of God's word, is received and taken to heart and humbly uh, uh, allowed to do its work in our hearts. Bitterness will spring up. And bitterness is manifested by a complaining and a critical spirit. Uh, Hebrews said that when that bitterness springs up, it causes trouble, not just for that person, but for others around the person. And many become defiled by it. So how do you prevent a root of bitterness from springing up in your own heart? Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before God's Word. Let it penetrate. Let it melt your heart. And You see, each sermon that you hear, each message you hear, God is speaking to you. And God is offering His grace to you. 
The Phillips New Testament translates Hebrews 12:15 this way, Be careful that none of you fails to respond to the grace of God. Each Sunday in worship, especially as the word of God is preached, God's grace is offered to each one of us. We must respond to Christ and to that grace to keep our heart tender before God, to, uh, to be sorrowful over our sins, to be like the publican and to beat our breasts and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And by responding to that grace offered to us Sunday after Sunday, day after day, in our own reading and reflection, then we'll not deny Him, either by our lips or our lives. We'll have that grace to fortify us, and we don't have to fear. And that leads us to the last line of the hymn, verse 13. It says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is a, a little bit of a twist. Uh, we have the if then, if then, but this one takes us a little bit by surprise. And it's not an easy verse to interpret. There are sharp differences of opinion about what it is uh, saying here. Some see it as a carryover of verse 12 to say that if we're faithless, God is faithful. He can't, uh, he, he can't deny himself. He's going to judge those who are faithless. He's going to do what he said. He's going to condemn them and carry out that sentence of judgment against them. Well, that may be true, but it doesn't seem to fit with the normal use of this idea of God's faithfulness in Scripture. It really doesn't seem to fit the context even, though it follows up on you know, that verse that talks about uh, Christ denying those people. But Dr. Gordon Fee, in his commentary, writes that God's faithfulness in the New Testament is always in behalf of his people. And faithfulness is one of those things that's for us. And, and, and yet, as we, as we look at this, you know, it, it, that first, that, that line, the very first part of it, you know, if we are faithless, we have to look at ourselves, if faithless, unfaithful, however you want to put it. At times, every one of us is faithless. We fail to endure. We fail and we give in to temptation. We are ashamed of Christ. We're often silent when we should speak up. Uh, and, and true believers do fail to stand for the Lord at times. And, and we can all identify with the twelve. In the upper room with Jesus, they were eating with Jesus, and Jesus said to them, He said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, all of them. Each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? You see, the humble, honest believer, here's verse 12. If we deny him, he will deny us. And every, every humble believer is going to say, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Probably the hypocrite, the proud person, the unbeliever, professing to be a believer, is the one who thinks that he or she is safe. But the true believer is humble and says, Lord, is it I? And we may think that a periodic and occasional lapse, and yes, we are all going to sin in, in certain ways, that, that, that means I'm going to be rejected by the Lord in the end. And this is where I believe verse 13 comes in and encourages the true and uh, honest believer. Even if we're faithless. Even if we're faithless. He is faithful. 
He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny the covenant promises he made to you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't deny the sacrifice that was made on your behalf for your forgiveness and your salvation. As one author put it, Jesus is grieved by the failures of his people, but his love for them endures. By their more serious sins, believers may lose the enjoyment of Christ's love, but they can never lose their salvation. We've all been unfaithful to Jesus in many, many ways. And if we dwell on our failings, we're going to get discouraged. We're going to lose hope. But if we lift our eyes and set them on Jesus, if we lift our eyes to our ever-faithful God to be forgiven, to be renewed, to be refreshed each and every day, especially on the Lord's Day, if we look to Him who endured the cross, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher for our faith, the one who is faithful to the very end, then, then we will endure as well. And we'll be strengthened uh, to endure. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is the faithful God. That's one of His attributes. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. It's related to the attribute of His immutability. Uh, which means that he is unchangeable, unchanging. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I change not. Indeed, he can't change. He is faithful to himself. He is always going to be who he is. He is faithful and unchangeable to his word. He never goes back on his word. If he's threatened, he'll carry through with the threatening. If he's promised, he'll carry through with the promise. He's faithful to his plan and his purpose and his covenant and his covenant people. He's faithful and unchangeable in his love for you and me who have become children of God. So we may be faithless. We may be unfaithful at times. We will be. But that's impossible for God. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul's confidence, you see, is, is rooted Grounded in the character of God, not in our, not in His character, not in my character. No, it's it's the character of God, the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. He never fails what He sets out to do. Uh, this doesn't excuse our sin or give us a reason to be slack or lax in our Christian walk. But it does bring comfort to those who are seeking to follow Jesus and to be faithful. If that's your desire this morning, then take hope in the faithfulness of God. Our assurance in the end does not depend on our performance, but on God's faithfulness. As Leon Morris well said, he said, It's comforting to the believer that in the last resort, what matters is not his feeble hold on God, but God's strong grip on him. In spite of our failures, our unfaithfulness to the Lord, he remains faithful. So as we close, let me just remind you, a mere profession of faith, and a mere outward profession cannot save you. You must truly, genuinely, from the heart, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you do so with a sincere and a childlike faith, trusting in only in what he has done, then you will be saved. And then you will begin to confess him 
you will not deny Him ultimately. Because the Lord won't allow it. He will keep you. And yes, you will fail. And at times you will act like you don't know the Lord or forgotten about Him. But the Lord's faithful to His own in spite of their failings. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. As, as Jeremiah said in Lamentations, His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you knowing that the heart is deceitful.